0: Let us turn now for our scripture reading to the book of 2 Samuel and the chapter 5. The book of 2 Samuel and the 5th chapter. This is the word of the Lord. Let us come and hear together the word of our God, the only one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God who is one, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit, the eternal, thrice holy God, the one in three, the three in one, God forever blessed. Then came all the tribes of Israel to David, unto Hebron, and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou wast he that ledest out and broughtest in Israel, and the Lord said to thee, thou shalt feed thy, my people, Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was thirty years old when he began to reign and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame." Thou shalt not come in hither, thinking David cannot come in hither. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. The same day is the, the same is the city of David, and David said on that day, Whosoever getteth up to the gutter and smiteth the Jebusites, and the lame and the blind, that are hated of David's soul. He shall be chief and captain. Wherefore, they said, the blind of the lame shall not come into the house. So David dwelt in the fort and called it the city of David. And David built round about from Milo and inward. And David went on and grew great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. And Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David an house. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. And David took him more concubines and wives out of Jerusalem after he was come from Hebron, and there were yet sons and daughters born unto David. And these be the names of those that were born unto him in Jerusalem, shammua and Shobab, and Nathan, and Solomon, Ibar also, and Elishua, and Negev, and Japhia, and Elisimah, and Elisimah, and Eliphah Liet built when the Philistines heard that they had appointed David king. But sorry, but when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David, and David heard of it and went down to the hold. The Philistines also came and spread themselves in the valley of Raphan. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Would thou deliver them into mine hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thine hand. And David came to Baal-perazim, and David smote them there and said, The Lord hath broken forth upon the enemies before me as the breach of waters. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal Pera Atheseim. And they there and there they left the images, and David and his men burned them, and the Philistines came up yet again, and spread themselves in the valley of Raphem. And when David inquired of the Lord he said, Thou shalt not go up. But fetch a compass behind them, and come up upon them over against the mulberry trees. And let it be, when thou hearest the sound of a going on the tops of the mulberry trees, that thou then, that then thou shalt bestir thyself. For then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. And David did so, as the Lord had commanded him, and smote the Philistines from Geba until thou come to Gazi. Amen. This is the word of the Lord, and may the Lord be pleased to bless that public reading of his most holy, infallible, inerrant, and sacred word. Let us come before the Lord in prayer, seeking his help and blessing this morning. Well, dear friends, I ask you please to turn your prayerful attention once again to those words that I read to you and you're hearing there in 2 Samuel and the 5th chapter. We come this morning in this 5th chapter, the book of 2 Samuel, and we notice here that David is anointed king over all Israel. And what we could say, we could write a theme over this passage of Scripture, the kingdom advancing In the hearts of the people and in the face of a very hostile world, we see the Philistines rising up against the kingdom of Israel, the Philistines here being unbelievers in the land of Canaan. God has brought the children of Israel into the land of Canaan. They have been there for centuries now, and the old enemy is still there. And friends, we live, as it were, in the Egypt of this world. Um, We're not in Canaan yet, but we're onwards, marching to Zion, the wonderful city of God, the heavenly Canaan, and we shall see our great King David one day, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of David. And there are many things in this passage that really point to those who oppose the kingdom of God and we also see lessons here with regards to as i said the kingdom of god advancing in the hearts of the people we see finally the people recognize david as king now in the last chapter remember chapter 4 we saw last week the death of king ishbosheth the son of saul remember how abner saul's general made him um, king over Israel instead of David. And he was king for seven and a half years while David has been in the waiting. David was anointed king in Judah. Well, that name, Ishbosheth, I don't know if I mentioned it before, but Ishbosheth means man of shame. That's what the name actually means. Ish, meaning man, Bosheth, meaning shame. That's his name. Now, we don't know why he was called. The man of shame. Perhaps it was a a nickname that he was given. We can't be sure. But that was the name that he was given, a man of shame. And uh, when he should have seen, he should have known because remember how Samuel the prophet anointed David to be king. And yet he took to himself this kingship, unlike Jonathan. Remember how Jonathan was quite prepared to step aside and to let David be king. But, of course, Jonathan was killed in the battle. All of this has not been the will of the Lord so far. But God's will now, of course, God's will, God's decree is perfect. It's immutable. We were thinking Tuesday how God is unchangeable. His decree, His will, His desire is even unchangeable. And that has huge implications on many things. God's will will never, ever change. God's desire never changes. Now, as we come to this passage, we see how the death of Isbosheth uh, makes way for David to be king over all Israel. And there are a number of lessons along the way that we learn and we glean this morning. First of all, we could say that God's promises occur in his own time, don't they? They are fulfilled in his time. David was told by the Lord and by Samuel the prophet that he would be king, but it's taken seven and a half years, a long time. And there are lessons for us. Things don't happen overnight for God's people, especially with regards to sanctification. And we learn of God's faithfulness along the way. There are many lessons that we learn. We become more thankful Even sin itself works for our good. You ever thought about that? Think of it, if God made us perfect instantaneously as Christians, we'd never be thankful. We'd never hate sin so much. And uh, it's true, isn't it? When we sin as Christians, how we mourn over sin. It makes us truly thankful. We're thankful for the grace of God. We'd walk around being so proud, wouldn't we, if we were just saved instantaneously from all of our sins. We are saved, yes, but you know, God doesn't uh, perfect us immediately as Christians. And secondly, we can say sometimes God sends small tokens of his promises to encourage us. Do you remember how David, first of all, was made king only over Judah? And that was a, a token of God's promise that God is for him through the ten years that Saul was chasing him as a partridge in a mountain, or like a partridge in a mountain, God was sending David token after token that he was his God, he was his protector, and he was the one that was eventually going to bring him to the throne. And despite all the things that happened to David, and even Saul's house opposing him, David was still kind to those who opposed him. And there are lessons there, aren't there? But David now is finally crowned king over all Israel. And look how graciously he treats the rest of Israel, so graciously, although they despised him and rejected him. As we look at David, you and I, we simply see a shadow, a figure of him that was to come, the Great One. Of course, David, as we'll see this morning, is not perfect. But friends, we worship the God who is perfect, the great King of kings, the eternal God who is only wise. David was not always wise. David was given great wisdom, but David never always walked in wisdom. David walked in foolishness oft times in his life. And so as we look at David, we see some of these shadows pointing us to Christ who is king over his spiritual people, Israel. Now, first of all, what we'll notice, if you notice in verse 1 to 5 there, three reasons why David is to be king. Three reasons for his kingship. And then we'll see David's three anointings in his life. He was anointed three times, as we will think. Firstly, by Samuel. Then he was anointed over as king of Judah. And then finally, now the third anointing king over all Israel. But firstly, three reasons why David was to be king. You notice as verse 1 begins, David is, first of all, he is not a stranger, but a true kinsman and bone of their bones and flesh of their flesh. Verse 1, but then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron and spake saying, behold, We are thy bone and thy flesh. Now, why did they say this? Well, because that is what God commanded. If you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 15, there, God actually commanded this: that whoever was going to be king had to be a true kinsman. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is the true kinsman. Deuteronomy 17 in the verse 15. Before entering the land, God speaking here through Moses, we read these words Thou shalt not in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. Let me read that again. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among my brethren thou shalt set king over thee. Now notice the negative way it is stated. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not my brother. So this is why it's emphasized here by the people. They were recognizing that this is the Lord's will. Now, you might say, well, this is is an obvious thing. Well, it is important because if they anointed somebody who was a foreigner, who was a stranger, and uh, who had another religion, well, he never would have taken their best interest to heart. Of course, he is of the Lord, and no closer could you get at this time to the Lord than David. Of course, though he was an imperfect man, and uh, he was bone of their bone, flesh of their flesh. He was from the tribe of Judah, and just as the Lord Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, God said that through that, that line, that actual physical line, there would come one out of Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Remember the words. Of Jacob to his sons, that the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. Of course, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, who is peace and who is rest, our rest. And it's said, isn't it, that blood is thicker than water. Of course, they needed a real, a true Israelite, but also spiritually. And David was such a man. He, this was one of the qualifications, as you read there in Deuteronomy 17, verse 15, uh, for a king. And it's the same with the Lord Jesus Christ. He actually had to become bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh. There in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16, we're told, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. Christ did not take on him the nature of angels, we're told, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He didn't take on the seed of Adam, but he took on the seed of Abraham. Abraham was promised a progeny. Abraham was promised a spiritual seed. Who are the children of Abraham? Well, we're told, are we not very explicitly in Hebrews, that those who are the household of faith And in that sense, Christ is so close to his people. Not only did he become man, but we are in Christ by faith. It is by God causing us to be born again and then by putting his spirit in our hearts. Christ in you, says the apostle to the Colossians, the hope of glory. And he had to become man. Why? Because he had to come and he had to live under the law of God. Galatians 4.4, 4, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son. Why? He sent forth his Son to come under the law of God, that he might fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. As a man, he had to become bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. And then finally... He had to lay down his life as the Lamb so that he could become the high priest over us. He offered up himself. He took not on him, as Paul says, the nature of angels, but took on him the seed of Abraham. He took on. He really took to himself. He undertook to be the surety of his people, to be the surety of a better covenant. Well, Secondly, not only did Christ become our kinsman, but David, you see, just in comparison, David, he is qualified because of his proven faithfulness. Verse 2. Notice in verse 2, 2 Samuel 5, we read verse 2a there. Also, they say, in addition, they say, In time past, when Saul was king over us, thou wast he that led us out and brought us in Israel. It wasn't Saul. It was you, David. Do you remember when David met with Goliath? Who was Saul? Saul was the tallest man in all Israel, and yet he didn't go out and fight Goliath. Remember how Goliath taunted the men of Israel for a long time? Saul, the biggest man, the tallest man, he didn't love the people. But David, a young boy, went out all on his own. And what did he say? He said to his older brother, is there not a cause? Who is this Philistine that he should stand against the armies of the living God? David proved, you see, he was the true shepherd of Israel. He proved this. Remember how he protected his father's sheep against lions and bears. And here he proved it to the people by slaying Goliath, by the arm of the Lord, by the strength of the Lord. It was the Lord that gave him the victory, but he had a heart for the Lord. That's why the Lord said, a man after my own heart. But how much more Christ, who came into this world, friends, who dealt with the great Goliath, Satan himself, In a far greater way, our Lord Jesus Christ endured the greatest of all sufferings in this world. As he went to the cross, as we see him there in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating, great drops of blood, of of sweat, pouring down from him. We read how there in Isaiah 63, how he says, I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. While there was nobody to stand against Goliath, friends, there was nobody that could endure what Christ endured for his people. And while Saul resisted David, David respected the office of the Lord's anointed. That's a remarkable feature, isn't it, about David, how he, he still respected the Lord's. What he was doing is he was respecting providence. God had put Saul in that position, David knew that if it was of the Lord, he would be king in the Lord's time. Then thirdly, you notice in verse 2b, there's God's appointment. The people say there in verse 2b, they say to David, And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. Isn't that remarkable? This is now coming from the lips of the people. They heard this. They knew it. They knew what the prophet said. Now, this is remarkable about David. David is not just a king, but he is a prophet. We read here how he will feed, thou shalt feed my people Israel. He would be a teacher. How was David a teacher? Well, he was the sweet psalmist, wasn't he? He wasn't just their protector, but he was their shepherd. By feeding them the word of God. Now we find those words, the words there in verse 2b, they are again found in First Chronicles 11 verse 2. First Chronicles 11 verse 2. We read there, And the Lord thy God said unto thee, Thou shalt feed my people, and thou shalt be ruler over my people Israel. Now is that not said by the prophet concerning the Lord Jesus Christ there in Isaiah 40? And verse 11, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. David doesn't chasten the people that had resisted him, but he feeds them. He is the good shepherd, but of course in type. David, as we'll see this morning, certainly has his sin, has his flaws. But David was going to feed them. How would David feed the people? By the word of Christ. You see, the words David speaks in the Psalms, they're all messianic Psalms. The word of God. Did the Lord Jesus Christ say to the Pharisees, you search the Scriptures, in them you think you have eternal life, but it is they that speak of me. The Psalms, do they not? The sweet Psalms speak of Christ, of his sufferings. When David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. Who gave those words? It was the good shepherd. And David knew that by experience. And are we not fed by the psalms? The people of old were. Because Christ gave the word. He is the word. Even the word of Christ. David spoke. Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be ruler of over my people Israel. But how much more Christ, friends? You know, there are many people that say they're Christians, you know, but Christ doesn't rule their hearts and their lives. It's their will. Their will over Christ's. But ought never to be the case. Well, Christ feeds us, and he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, doesn't he? That's true. Now, we've already seen David led by godly example and principle. He was a king of righteousness. Didn't we think about that last week? Where both the Amalekite and also those two sons under Ishbosheth who slew Ishbosheth thought that they could get away with murder and sin with impunity. Well, David said no. God has said, has he not in Genesis 9, whosoever sheddeth a blood, blood innocently shall die. David was a man executing justice, but only justice is met by Christ. He saves, but there's also justice. David, led by godly example and principle, and so also the, the Lord Jesus Christ. When he came into this world, you know, Peter said in 1 Peter 2:21, For even hereunto were ye called, that's to suffer, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. But you see, David suffered, didn't he? Think of all that David has endured to be king, and to be scorned even by the people, and to be sidelined, and Christians will be as well in this world. But you know, what the people now saw in David was a man that was not only willing, but he was able to deliver them. That's what they're saying here. Thou didst deliver us. But how did David do it? By the Lord. Everything, and we even see in this chapter how it was all of the Lord. The Lord is able to save, and the Lord is able to destroy. The half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ says in James 4, verse 12, he says, There is one lawgiver who is able to save and is able to destroy. The half-brother of our Lord Jesus, speaking of him, and that is who he is. David is able to save people, not spiritually, because he's got the power, but he's able to destroy as well, isn't he? Now, thirdly, we notice the covenant between the king and their God, verse 3. So all the elders of Israel came to the king, to Hebron, and King David made a league. That is, he cut a covenant. He made a covenant with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over them. Now, it says here he made a covenant, and that's what we do when you get married. You say your vows. You make promises. And David as it were, is saying that I am united to you as your king. The people and David are committing themselves to each other. And it's such a vital thing, isn't it? How much more Christ and his church? The two shall be one flesh. And he is together forever united to us. His faithfulness, the one thing that breaks marriage is adultery. It's the one rule we are given and told. That's why it meant stoning to death. That is the only legitimate means of a marriage breaking up. Is adultery. And the Lord Jesus is ever faithful to his people, isn't he? David, unfaithful, we even see it in his own marriage. We even see it in his own life here. And that's wrong. But here David committing himself. His heart is for the Lord's people and for the Lord, but an imperfect man. And this we must understand. And like David, we are imperfect friends. But our King, eternal Jesus Christ, cannot fail. Now we come this morning, if you notice, to the third anointing of David. Remember I said to you, the first anointing was when the prophet Samuel anointed him. Remember when he was chosen a man out of his brethren, out of the sons of Jesse. And then we saw he was anointed king over Judah. And that may have been rather humiliating to some who wouldn't believe. But David was a believing man. King only over Judah. And then now he's anointed king over all Israel. But let me say this in a far greater way. There are pictures here of Christ. First of all, when you think about it, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was anointed ever before he came into this world. If you study Psalm 2 and the verses 1 to 3, ever before Christ came into this world, even before the very foundation of the world, we read these words, Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together, against the Lord and against His anointed. Those words are given even before Christ came into this world. He was anointed by the Father. And we read that the Father has set His Son in His holy hill. But then think of it. The Lord Jesus Christ was crowned, He was anointed, even by those who despised Him. How was he crowned when he came into this world and he lived amongst men? And even Pilate could say, I find no fault in him. He washed his hands. What did they do? They platted a crown of thorns on his head. And they pressed it upon his brow. And we read those words in Matthew 27, don't we? And when they had platted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. And a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before mocking him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. You see, you know, as I know, that there were no thorns in this world until sin came. And Christ was crowned by men, but in a mocking way. But he was willing to endure it for his people, wasn't he? Remember what the Lord said to Adam the day that he sinned? He said, out of the earth now will come thorns and briars and death and everything else. But you know, Christ, we are told, was cursed. He took the curse. He took the shame. He took the mocking, the scoffing, the ridiculing, the buffeting, and was scorned. Remember what Pilate said, art thou a king? That hast said, he said. But you see, without the cross and without that crown of thorns, there'd be no glory. Think of Christ's last anointing. And he is crowned now in glory. Hebrews 2 verse 9 we are told, But we see Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for the offering of suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. That's where he is now. The Father has said to him, My son, sit down thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies my footstool. That's where he is, isn't he? He's in glory. But you see, Christ, our Lord, had to be crowned from all eternity past, anointed by the Father. He is King, eternal, God only wise. And God's decrees are fixed. His purpose is, will stand. But he had to go to the cross, just as David had to endure seven and a half years of humiliation, of being a, a lower king, as it were. But then now, made king over all Israel. And we learn many lessons here. Friends, let me say, first of all, we read here, David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 40 years. That's the total sum of the years of his reign. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. In Jerusalem, we note there, notice he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. 33 years. And it's quite remarkable, isn't it, how our Savior came and lived 33 years in this world. I don't know if there's a parallel there, but I think that's an interesting thing. 33 years over Uh, Israel there. But in all of this, we have to say it's all the Lord's good timing, isn't it? And the Lord's timing is always perfect. And see how the Lord has brought the people now to acknowledge David for all that he is. And so it is. You see the kingdom of God advancing in the hearts of the people. And that's true for every Christian. You know, As we go on as Christians, the Lord Jesus becomes more and more precious to us, doesn't he? In our lives and in our experience. And we learn to wait upon the Lord, just as David had to learn. David said in that Psalm 37, Commit thy way unto the Lord, and trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Slow progress, waiting on the Lord. And we see how the hearts of the people are now for David. They recognize all these things. And eventually now they confess him as the rightful king. And they sanctify uh, God's will here in their hearts. Notice the second main point, a considerable advance in the kingdom, verse 6 to the verse 10. It says there that David was based in Hebron. Because remember, that's where his base was with all of his men. And he needed a a much better place suited to be king. And he knew the best place was Jerusalem, which is also called, notice verse 7 there, Mount Zion. We know from Psalm 48, David there speaks of the city of God. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north. They're speaking about Jerusalem. Why is it called Zion? Because there was a great mountain there. There was a great cliff and an edifice, and it was basically impenetrable by the enemies. And now for centuries and centuries, ever since the days of Joshua, it has been occupied by the Jebusites. Why? Because it was an impenetrable place, and they couldn't get in. And look how the Jebusites mock David, and mock the men of David, because David sees he must take this place. And the king said, verse 6, and his men, and the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither. In other words, You know what, David, you've got to do to take this city? Because basically it is so impenetrable. You've got to take out the blind and the lame. It was a challenge. They were almost mocking him. They were saying, it's impossible for you, David. You've got to take the blind and the lame, but you can't even do that. And look how David turns it around. David says, yeah, we will take the blind and we'll take the lame. And they take out the Jebusites. They take out the Jebusites in this city. If you just turn to Judges one twenty one, it says there, And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. Now there's an image here, I think in a picture, Jerusalem is a picture of God's people, a city on a hill. And you know, nothing can take the stronghold of Zion but Christ. Nothing. Who can, who can take a man's heart but Christ? Man must be born again. Who can take the stronghold? We, we were in the clutches, as it were, of Satan, weren't we? But only Christ can take the heart of men. The Jebusites occupied Jerusalem for so long and nobody dared try to oust them out. And so David does what men have failed to do for well over 500 years. And look at the Jebusites, how they're mocking. Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither, And the reason they said this, we're told, thinking, notice, David cannot come in hither. David can't do, you can't do anything, David. We're in the stronghold. You see that? They sang, even the lame and the blind can keep David from us. You've got to take the lame and the blind. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. The same is the city of David. Isn't that remarkable? And who but Christ? can have the true city of Jerusalem, God's people. We read in the book of the Revelation that Jerusalem comes down. Jerusalem is the people of God, the true bride of Christ, the heavenly city where God's people dwell one with another. And David said on that day, Notice whosoever getteth up to the gutter and smiteth the Jebusites and the lame and the blind that are hated of David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Wherefore they said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Now, some say that David was forbidding those to come into the house of God who were lame and blind. That's a possibility. But it seems also that he is scorning those Jebusites who were scorning God and God's cause. They said, let the feeble and the blind come and protect Jerusalem from David. But David, he replies saying, let's take the Jebusites. We'll call them the lame and the blind. Some say that is the case, and and they were, because they were impotent against David, weren't they? Couldn't keep David. And so they fell, and it's made now the center. The Jebusites would be called then lame and blind and would be thrown out. Same with the Pharisees. They were the blind leading the blind, weren't they? Thought they were strong, but the Lord said, I will destroy this temple and raise it up in three days. Thirdly, verse 9 to 10, notice, explain the real reason for David's triumphs in the Lord. So we read here in verse 10 that David went on, in that city, and grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. That is the explanation to David's, we could even say, success. God was with him. God was blessing him. God was giving power. And uh, we read here how the Lord truly gives David power just with one stroke he takes Jerusalem for centuries that had been lost to the Jebusites, who had defied the Lord for generations. But David, by the Lord of hosts, we read there, takes it. It's amazing, isn't it? But how the Lord Jesus Christ, how he has led captivity captive. We were captive to Satan, weren't we? But he has led us captive to himself, whom the Son sets free. Is free indeed spiritual deliverance. Well, we see here power, the power of God. And the Lord does as he pleases, doesn't he? And does his will. Now you notice, recognition of the king, King Hiram, in verse 11, by others. We notice how the Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and he sends him all these trees and A great big house is built for David. And there's honor given, but you know, not everybody honors David. The old enemy rises up, the Philistines. And they go to war against the children of Israel again. And uh, it's not good. But you notice in the verse 13, it says here, and we see David's foolishness here, and David took to him more concubines, verse 13, and wives out of Jerusalem. Now, this, as I'm going to show you now, was contrary to the clear command not only of Genesis chapter 2, the two shall be one flesh, but it was explicitly forbidden for kings. If you turn to Deuteronomy 17, in the verse 17 there, I'll read from the verse 14. Deuteronomy chapter 17. And this, David is sinning very clearly against the clear commands of God, which he and the people knew. Verse 14, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall possess it, and shall dwell therein, and shall say, I will set a king over me, like as the nations that are about me, thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose, one from among thy brethren. So David qualifies there. But notice verse 17 neither shall he multiply wives to himself that his heart turn not away. So you see the very clear commandment here. David is breaking. God is very clear about this. It is forbidden, not only in ordinary circumstances, but God forbids it. But David falls. It's Six wives weren't enough for him and let me say this we shouldn't be surprised at that why do i say that because sin is never satisfied it eventually all these wives leads to what him taking another man's wife covetousness which is idolatry we shouldn't be surprised that david ends up taking another man's wife because lust has taken hold of his heart And it is clearly forgiven here. The point is, and the lesson is that sin can never have rest, friends. You know, no matter what it is, whether it's adultery or some thing that some besetting sin, sin can never have rest, and it never gets rest. We shouldn't find it incredible that after so many wives he should commit adultery. We shouldn't be surprised at that. But there's a lesson. For you as a Christian and for me, sin never gets enough. Does it? No matter what area of life you try to plug this in, unrestrained sin can never be satisfied. They become increasingly so, desirous for more and more and more and more. In our church newsletter, we've got something about covetousness. That's another area, isn't it? It's the love of money. It increases more and more. There's nothing wrong with things, but never let those things have your heart. Abraham was a man of great wealth. So was Job, but those men never let wealth have their hearts. So we see here David's more wives eventually leads him wrongly so to take another man's wife. It's amazing. David could take a city, but he couldn't take hold of his own heart. He had great faith, and great strength, but he couldn't reign his own heart. Is that not true for us? This is why we need the real King, Jesus Christ, to rule and to reign in our own hearts. This is why David had to say, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a right spirit. Cast not away thy spirit from my presence, and take not thy spirit from me. Paul says, does he not, brethren, we are not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. All friends, we must not let our hearts reign, but Christ must reign in our hearts. And we must put to death the deeds of the body. But lastly, the kingdom opposed, verses 17 to 25. Not everyone was like King Hiram of Tyre. You notice that there? You see the Philistines rise up. And uh, they go against David immediately. There's no hesitancy. They straight to it. And they muster all their forces, notice there. But there were no match for the Lord. And in the first battle, they're completely overwhelmed. The Lord, David inquires of the Lord, verse 19, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? wilt thou deliver them into my hand? You see, there's a man of faith, and you know, you can still have faith and still harbor sin. And thank the Lord, at times he's still pleased to bless you. And the Lord's doing this for Israel's sake, isn't he? How gracious is the Lord when we are not worthy of the least of his mercies. But anyway, we notice the Lord says, go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thy hand. David came to Baal-perazim and David smote them there and said the Lord hath broken forth upon mine enemies before me as the breach of waters and this is why they call the place Baal-perazim here you notice and if you notice in, in the margin there it says the plain of breaches that's because the Lord had broken through like a mighty river amongst the Philistines and uh, we read here that the Philistines, they leave their images and their idols, and David burns them, rightly so. But David, what about the images of your own, own adultery? What about those idols of woman? David, there's another sin. But nonetheless, the Lord is gracious. Still, David's sin will eventually catch up with him. And we know what is done here. The Philistines, they don't give up. They come up again. And what David does is he doesn't presume that victory is going to be again by the same means. And he asks the Lord again, and the Lord says, thou shalt not go up, but thou shalt go up from behind. So they could come up behind the Philistines. And the Lord says, when you hear the rustling of the mulberry trees, now those mulberry trees, the leaves, those specific leaves, would make a very distinguished sound. And the Lord is saying, When the wind blows, of course, the Lord is the one who who gives the power of the wind. When you hear the rustling of the mulberry trees, then go up and take. And of course, David does this. And they smite all the Philistines from Gebeah until thou comest to Gaza. verse 25. So the Lord gave victory there over the Philistines. Now, there's some lessons to close with this morning. The first is this, the Lord gives victory by whatever means he pleases. We need to trust the Lord. We need to obey him in everything. Always obey him. He that knoweth to do good and doesn't do it, it is sin. David knew about this issue with a woman. It was knowledgeable amongst the people. But remember, the Lord is not mocked, but he is still pleased nonetheless, isn't he? because of Christ, because of the great cause, to help us to overcome our enemies. We look beyond David, don't we, to Christ, the sinless Son of God, who never erred, who never failed, who is the Word, who obeyed every moral precept, who obeyed the Word, who is now King in glory. David would fall. At the end of David's life, he would say, even though it is not so with my house, thou hast made an everlasting covenant with me, ordered and sure in all things. David would fall. David is no savior. Christ is the savior. David brought temporal benefits, but he himself failed. But Christ has power, power over all things. Remember what he said to the Jews that accused him of doing the work of Beelzebub. He said, but if I with the finger of God cast out devils, No doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. Luke 11 and the verse 20. Friends, our victory is through Christ. But it's really through Christ living in us too, isn't it? He lives in you, if you're a Christian. And you will overcome sin and temptation in this world by Christ. But the minute we come away from Christ, we're in danger. We're in danger of all kinds of adultery unfaithfulness in our lives, how we ever need to stick closely and tenaciously to Christ. We see David was a great man, but he had a great fall, didn't he? And sometimes the Lord does this to humble souls. If we walk proudly and in our own strength, David was only able to overcome the enemies by the power of God. And it is only by the power of God, friends, that we are able to overcome sin in our lives. And we must. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Thank the Lord for the real king who never failed. Never. Could never be said of the Lord Jesus Christ he has failed in one single thing. He would eventually come into this world and give himself for us. Live the life that we never lived, and thus earn for us a righteousness, that we may pre- be presented before his throne with exceeding joy. He has said in the book of the Revelation, Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me. What is his reward? It's the work that he's doing in your heart as a Christian. It's the w- reward that he... He achieved there on the cross at Calvary by purging our sins and that by now living in us, we're not our own. He has taken us captive. Just as David took Jerusalem, Christ has laid hold on us and he will never let us go. He has taken the Jerusalem of our hearts and we are now as a wonderful Zion, the city of God. Let us live to the glory of Jesus Christ and honor his name. David was honored, but friends, David is just a man. And you remember that's all you are. That's all I am. But we are wed to him. Christ has one bride, one bride. And he will not fail his bride. David failed all of his brides by what? His adultery, which God forbids. That our king has one bride. He has one people, who he has said, I've loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness has he drawn us. And whom he draws he said, what did he say? All that the Father gives me shall come to me. And he that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. He has one people. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. God never desires the salvation of Esau. But he desired the salvation of Jacob from all eternity. Jacob, thou worm, he says. That's all I am. It's all you are if we're Christians, but a worm who can cast himself upon the kind arms of a gentle and loving shepherd who will never leave us nor forsake us. Amen.